Good morning. It's good to be with you guys. My name is Jonathan. If I haven't officially met you, but I feel like I definitely know everybody in this room. I'm grateful to be here on this beautiful Sunday with the excitement and the buzz that's happening around this big game today, and especially that our, our boys are in the game. Um, many of you might uh, have maybe forgotten, uh, maybe the, the men in the room, this is kind of a, a wake-up call that you know, Amazon Prime usually can get something here in a couple days, that not tomorrow, okay, but the next day is Valentine's Day. Okay? Is anyone surprised, surprised by this news? Don't raise your hand. Okay, so um, this holiday, okay, has originated as a Christian feast day, honoring one or two of the early Christian martyrs, St. Valentine. And these are men that gave their life, right, laid down their life for their faith, okay? And um, as they did this, they, they, they laid down their life. This falls much more in line with, with what we know of love to be, right? that love is sacrificial. Over the centuries, it has become much less like that in terms of what we're celebrating on Valentine's Day. More than anything, this day that we celebrate is more like a commercial celebration, right? An excuse for, um, you know, corporations to, to find a way to get money out of us. And I don't know about you guys, but every single company that's ever gotten a hold of my email address has sent me an email this week telling me about some great deal about some product that I didn't even know about. Is anyone else getting flooded? Well, these emails just like, 40% off on this app that you never use, right? It's like, good grief. And so we're getting flooded with this. They've, uh, they've said, you know, this, there's a projection, this company's done uh, a study that Valentine's Day this year will generate $26 billion. $26 billion. Isn't that insane? Like the reach of this commercial push to get us to love each other, right? Um, that's a lot of edible arrangements. You guys, you guys ever had an edible? It's like $70 for fruit cut into flowers, like ridiculous. Uh, Marcy and I celebrated this Friday. Uh, we, any excuse for us to go roller skating, uh, we went and uh, we are still hurting. I'm, my knees are sore from falling down a couple of times. Um, so the world sees love like a box of chocolates, right? Uh, you buy the chocolates for someone else and then you end up eating them for yourself, right? This is true. The, the world sees love that way. It's all about me, right? This is how the world operates. But what I want us, for to, us to consider today is how the world sees our love. Do they see a sacrificial love? Do they see a reflection of Christ in our life by the way that we live, the way that we engage with them, the way they uh, experience us in our interactions? Do they see Christ in us? The way that we love one another is the most effective evidence of Christ and His transformative grace. So what do they see? What do they see in us? Today, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 13, if you want to turn there. We're going to be towards the end of the chapter, verse 34 and 35. And here we are joining the disciples in the upper room. Jesus had just washed their feet, and Judas had just made his exit into the night to betray Christ. And over this last meal together, Jesus begins to share his last will and testament to his disciples. He begins to share of the world rescue mission that his father had sent him on. And in these words of encouragement, he shares his sacrifice and everything that's going to come in the next coming days. And packed into this message that he was sharing with them, he gives them a new commandment. A new commandment, which is where we're going to pick up today. And this passage, it is significant for us because the commandment he gave them is for us as well. And if we miss this, if we miss this commandment, we could completely waste our life. 
This morning we're going to consider uh, what Jesus was sharing with them and as his disciples as well, what he was sharing with us. And we have two breakout sessions. The first breakout session is going to be a personal reflection. So we're going to take some time to reflect on some questions. And then we're going to go through the passage a little bit more. And then we're going to have a second breakout session where we will break up into groups of three or four. And we're going to consider some questions, how we can encourage one another. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to jump into John chapter 13. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. And God, thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for modeling for us what it looks like to to love and how you sent your son to, to lay down his life for us. And God, we pray that you would open our hearts and our ears so that we would receive from you what we desperately need so that you would bring, that we would bring glory to you in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 13, verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. Our first point for study is the law of love is a command. Command is your blank. Loving one another is a fundamental law of God's kingdom. This direct order and charge is on the same level of ranking of believing on the name of Christ. Right? So it says in 1 John 3, verse 23, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. So when we believe on Christ, he embodies us through the Holy Spirit, which then he gives us a new nature, allowing us to then behave like him. See, when we are indwelled with the Spirit, we can then become like him. This law of love is as old as time, but it has been made new. James talks about it in James chapter 2, verse 8. He calls it the royal law. Jesus, when he was questioned of the greatest commandments, he said, uh, of num- this was number two. First was love the Lord your God. And then second, he said in Matthew twenty two thirty nine, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Like an old book with a revised second edition, we find this law that had been marred by lawless legalism of tradition being made new and superpowered by the Spirit. Men for centuries by this point had added so much to the law that it was crushing those that were attempting to live unto it. This is um, what we're experiencing today. So we have this new source. Jesus is making it new and that by the means from which we obtain it, it is coming from a new source. The command is given and then is intended to be fulfilled by the Spirit. First Peter 1.22, it says, Seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit, unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. So when we obey the truth through the Spirit, then we can follow this commandment which demonstrates love in an unfeigned way, right? Unfeigned way. This is to be sincere. This means to be genuine, without hypocrisy, with a pure heart fervently, meaning that our motives are blameless and without a corrupt desire. And to be fervent, this is for our hearts to be in such a way where we are reaching out to those that God places in our path. This can only be achieved by walking in the Spirit. You guys know what I mean by walking in the Spirit. This can only be achieved when we walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.25, which means we can live in the Spirit. Do you guys know that we can live in the Spirit? Romans 8.2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So we can live in the Spirit. This is a done deal. We can be sealed. When we receive Christ, we can be sealed and we can be in the Spirit. Now the concern here is that when we read through Romans 7, we see Paul. He, he talks about this. He says, man, I do what I don't want to do, but I do it, right? He concludes this in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? The, 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 the end of that verse is really important. For those who walk after the flesh, right? If we walk after the flesh we actually can condemn ourselves, right? We may not be condemned to hell, but we surely can live a life condemned, right? We can walk 
like the dead, even though our hearts are sealed. This is concerning. This fleshly walking can, can even look like correct Christian conduct. It can be a form of godliness, but there's no power in it. 2 Timothy 3.5 So we must consider, where am I operating from? Where are we operating from? Is my movement of love motivated by my own individual gain? You know, karma, right? What goes around comes around, or I'll scratch your back if you, you know, you scratch mine. It's like, man, honey, we probably should do this meal train thing because something's going to happen some, at some point, and we need to get some meals coming, right? It's like, we probably should make a meal, get the crock pot out, you know, like, Right? This is how we operate. Is my mission in ministry to maintain my self-esteem? You know, I just feel better when church is in my routine, right? Just my mood, just feel better. Is, is coming to church, is being a Christian just a, a self-help ploy? Or is it just what you do? You know, as for me and my house, we go to church, Right? That's a little play on scripture. It's like, that's what happens though. As for me in my house, we what? We serve the Lord. Well, you know, as for me in my house, we go to church. It's, it's just what we do, right? Over time, just like the Israelites, we add to the commandment. The law of love can become a legalistic life venture. Our mission in life fellowship is to connect people to Christ and one another. Our mission in life fellowship is to connect people to Christ and to one another. Do you guys know what our mission in life fellowship is? It's to connect people to Christ and to one another. So, okay, yet we cannot fulfill the pursuit if we don't obey the law of love. And we cannot be obedient to the law of love without being filled with the Spirit. And we cannot be filled with the Spirit unless we are walking in the Spirit. All right, so our first breakout session. All right, we're going to take five to seven minutes, and I want us to be honest with ourselves. We're going to do some personal reflection. And this is just going to be between you and the Lord. You're not going to be sharing this with your neighbor, okay? You might want to hide your, you know, your sheets so they don't read what you write down. But we want to, be in, we want to endeavor to be honest. So first... Am I heeding to the law of love? Okay. Name three relationships or settings you are actively loving others. So what situations and or people are you called to love? So we're just counting the evidence. These are the people that God has placed in my path that I need to be loving. Okay. Number two, when, am I lo- when I am loving and serving in these settings, where am I prone to operate from? Am I prone to operate in my own strength or am I walking in the spirit? So we want to give an honest rating. So in a week's time, what percentage of the time that you are loving and serving is in the Spirit? Are you in the Spirit 10% of the time? Are you in the Spirit 50% of the time? Now, this would be hard to fully know, right? But one thing that we can consider, this is a a little bit of help, you know, to, to gauge maybe where you're at. So when you are going to engage in that event or you run into that person, do you feel hopeful or do you feel dread? Gosh, we have Bible study tonight. I guess we should go, huh? Right? Oh, there's my neighbor. Hurry, quick, get the car. Go, right? It's like, where is your heart at? I want you to be honest. We need a real test of where, where, do we, where are we actually at? How are we actually operating? Okay, number three. What acts as derailers in my life that cause me to fall into the flesh? So what fear redirects my focus inward. So what situations or circumstances or personal behaviors lead you to walking into the flesh? So we're looking at naming and labeling our pitfalls, right? So uh, I know for me, hitting snooze is definitely one that I would write on there. It just destroys my whole day, right? Because that derails everything. Instead of getting in the Word, I sleep at nine-minute increments, which is terrible, by the way, right? Okay, so hitting snooze. Uh, petty arguments with my spouse where I should maybe be overbearing or, or I am overbearing. Maybe I should be forbearing, right? Um, maybe alcohol, right? What is it for you? Maybe too much media. So 
Let's take some minutes, right? And I'll call us back in, but let's get alone with the Lord and be honest with ourselves. We're going to answer these questions and then we'll jump back into the text. Cool? All right. How was it? 
You guys get some stuff? All right, we're going to come back to that uh, here in a bit. I want to jump into the next point. So first, the law of love is a command. And then second, the law of love is like Christ. 34b, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. There is no greater example of love than the sacrifice of Christ. John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Not that we are proficient to achieve this level of sacrifice, right? We're not, we're not Christ. We are not perfect. But this must be our model of the law of love, right? We are to endeavor to walk like him. It says in Romans 12, 1, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's only reasonable that our life amounts to laying down our life for those that God places in our path. Romans 6, 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. Man, alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness, righteousness unto God. See, we were dead and we were made alive through Christ because of his sacrifice. We need to be honest with ourselves about the places in life that we walk back into the grave. Where do we walk back into the grave? When we are in remembrance of this, it is only reasonable that our love is one to another, right? We love one another in a way that our love is freely given, right? When we recognize that we are alive from the dead, our love is freely given. Man, it's, it's our reasonable service that we would do this, that we are willingly laborious while knowing it will be expensive. In fact, it should reasonably cost us everything. It should cost us everything. We are constant and persistent in our pursuit of others, knowing that we are instruments of righteousness unto God. This means that we are specialty utensils. Every single person in this room was created uniquely to lay down their life in a way, loving people that God has placed in your path. You guys realize this? We are specialty utensils. I, I specifically didn't use the word tool because some people don't like being called a tool. It's like, but we are. God created us in a very specific way to be a part of the body, right? That's why it's called the body, right? He created us to be a part of this body. If we are alive from the dead, this will reflect in our marriage. Marriage is your blank. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So Christ laid down his life for his bride the way that we should, husbands, lay down our lives for our brides. Husbands, giving yourself for your wife looks like 1 Corinthians 13. So, if you're not familiar with that passage, that's where we go in scriptures to identify, to give us the definition of what love is. Giving yourself looks like, number one, long-suffering. So being patient with her in your daily interactions. I'm speaking to you husbands. Make eye contact with me. I'm looking at you. Long-suffering. What does that mean? This is displayed through having empathy. Empathy is feeling and thinking your way into another person's position. Empathy is a lot of times difficult for guys. One track mind, right? But what, what's actually happening for your bride? Considering what she is thinking rather than, you know, holding her to your expectation. This means being a good listener to her. Listening to her concerns. This means shifting your agenda. This could simply look like just being more playful, Right? Spending time with her. Giving yourself looks like being kind. This means being friendly and considerate. This is displayed by not being so dang harsh. Man, I don't know about you guys, but I can be harsh. When, I, when I'm focused on something, I just say what I'm thinking, and sometimes it's harsh. Considering your approach and your tone and communication. Engaging in a way where she feels seen and valued by you. This looks like demonstrating trust towards her by respectfully receiving her input. Giving yourself looks like not being envious. This is huge. 
Being envious is allowing a place for discontentment and bitterness. As a, as a marriage counselor, this is, this is what decimates marriage. One thing that you can see in, in when you're sitting with a couple, if either of them roll their eyes, it's like they, they've, done, they've done research on it. If, if a couple rolls their eyes in couples counseling, the, the chances of divorce is like 90%. Do you know why? Because when you roll your eyes, it's a sign of contempt. Contempt is disgust. This person disgusts me. Man, how do we get to a place where we disgust this person that God has jo- joined us with, that we're one with? This is, so how do we get rid of this? This is displayed through surrendering your pride. Not being puffed up with being right, but endeavoring to be right with her. Guys, if you want to hurt your wife, if you want to fatally wound your wife, posture your heart in a place of envy towards her. There is nothing more devastating. There's not a more devastating blow that a husband can give than waiting till his wife comes out of her shell just a little bit. Right? Waiting till she takes some sort of risk she moves towards you, or maybe you guys are endeavoring to do something together and she's a little bit ahead of you and you knock her back down a notch. This will destroy a woman. You never want to play Cain to your wife's Abel. Do you guys know what I mean by this? You know the story of Cain and Abel, right? You never want to play Cain to your wife's Abel. Giving yourself looks like surrendering self-seeking. Self-seeking is only thinking about yourself. Right? This is displayed through honoring her and putting her first, especially in front of others. There is nothing more demoralizing than to hear your spouse speak poorly of you in front of other people. Don't do it. This looks like not being quick to anger or keeping a record of wrong. What else? Bearing all things, all is your blank. This means your heart is full of compassion and understanding. This is displayed through always being willing to protect, always being willing to give her the benefit of the doubt, and always being willing to fight for your oneness. Ephesians 5.33, Nevertheless, everyone of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife, see that she reverence her husband. Okay, wives, now I'm looking at you. Wives, If you are alive from the dead and walking in the Spirit, you should reverence your husband. Reverence looks like lovingly respecting your husband, and this means demonstrating admiration and honor. This is displayed through being his helpmeet, to be his companion and his partner mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Give him your undivided attention. Look into his eyes when he's speaking to you. I don't know about y'all, but you know, our house is like chaos right now. We have two monsters just destroying everything, and we're trying to be civilized humans. And when I come into the kitchen and Marcy is like cooking and she's got like a kid on each leg and like this things are everywhere, when I'm trying to, to express something to her and she stops and she turns and she looks at me, man. Like she's listening to me in the, in, the, in the midst, in the eye of the storm, right? She's listening to me. It means the world to me. Let him lead. He needs to know that you trust him. Show physical affection towards him. Embrace him when you're passing one another. Reach towards him. Life can get crazy and busy, but man, it's those little moments where we reach towards one another. Right, I often tell couples who are in distress, hey, like, I know you guys haven't been having sex. I know you guys are completely avoiding one another. Let's just try this. Every time you leave one another, right, you leave the house, just go and find them and embrace them, right? And every time you're in the same vicinity again, just go and find them, right? You'd be surprised how easy it is, right, to, to come home and just, you don't even see your spouse. You pass each other in the kitchen, you know, you, you stay in the garage for an hour or two, but just that little intentionality of moving towards that other person. Show physical affection. Trust God to convict him. Man, this is huge. Sam said it like this, I think, this last Tuesday. Let, let God, you know, sick God on him, right? Sick God on him. 
When you see his flaws, be diligent in prayer that God would reveal where he needs work. Support his ideas. Listen to him as he shares his vision. Help him develop the picture further. Treat him the way you want him to be. You can't change him. You can't cause him to think anything or feel anything or do anything, but you surely can be the Bible he may hardly read. This will heap hot coals onto his head, right? There is nothing more convicting than being treated better than you deserve. If you are alive from the dead, it will reflect in your marriage. It will also reflect in our friendships. Jesus was a faithful friend. He listened, he counseled, he comforted. When his disciples were fearful in the storm, he was there for them. When they were... When there were unknowns about their ministry, he was patient and kind with them. He even washed their feet, which is a better friend than I will ever be, right? He modeled for them the law of love. He prayed with them and for them. He lifted them up to the Father. He stood up for them in public. He owned them publicly. He said in Matthew 12, 49, and he stretched out forth his hand toward his disciples and he said, behold, my mother and my brethren... He claimed his friends as his own. He said, this is my blood. He compassionately changed them to make the best of them. At the end of this chapter that we're reading today in John 13, we see Peter, he's, he's trying to wrap his head around what Jesus is dropping on him. Right? So you can imagine like these guys think they're about to take the kingdom, like the physical kingdom right there. And Jesus is like, hey, uh, by the way, where I'm about to go, you can't come. Right? And, Jesus, and, and so he's like telling them about a new commandment, but Peter's like, wait, 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 what are we doing? Right? He says in John chapter 13, 37, Lord, why can I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Man, Jesus was a good friend, he was a good mentor. Jesus knew Peter well, and he knew what Peter needed. We all know, you know, that over the course of the next few days that Peter did, in fact, deny him, even to a child, right? As Jesus was busy, you know, laying down his life for humanity, Peter was denying him, his friend, he was denying him. And later in the chapter 21, we see a faithful friend, Jesus, following up with Peter. He says in chapter 21, verse 17, he saith unto him the third time, so he'd already said this to him twice, he said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Man, as a loving friend, Jesus sharpened his friend Peter. Gosh. Because he knew that Peter would, in fact, feed his sheep. He knew what he needed. Jesus challenged Peter to get to the to, the, to get the best out of Peter. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Man. We need to be faithful friends to one another. You know, Sam always talks about playing church, right? We're not here to play church. If we aren't, if we are not bumping into one another, if we are not rubbing against one another, if we're not offending one another, then we're playing church. That's the truth. If you haven't been offended by someone in this room, if you haven't had to sit down and work through something, then we're playing church. Does this make sense? That, because that means that our relationships are artificial. It means that we're just casually interacting. We're eating don't, half donuts together, drinking coffee, and listening to good Bible preaching. But we're not, we're not living out the law of love. The world will see it. Jesus displayed the ultimate example of the law of love. 
Being made alive from the dead is our reasonable service to fulfill the law of love. As we walk in the Spirit, we practically look like our great high priest. Philippians 2, verse 3 and 5, through 5, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also onto the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, this is our second breakout. So for our second time of reflection, we're going to take a few minutes and uh, five to seven minutes. We're going to get into groups and we're going to practically look like at how we can, we can have the mind of Christ. So some, sometimes, just to say, this is for everybody, sometimes five to seven minutes can feel like a lifetime, right? Especially, you know, when the person talking, talking is a rambler, right? And it also can feel like just like that. And that's typically, if it feels just like that, it's probably because you are the rambler, right? So let's share the room, right? So as we're in our group, let everybody share. We're going to answer these questions together, and we're going to get through them, and we want to hear from one another. Cool? Number one, as believers in Christ, I know that I've been made alive from the dead. Okay? That's us as believers. And what areas of life do I walk back into the grave? Right? So these are the areas where you focus, your focus shifts back to you. Right? This could be a setting. This could be at home. This could be work. Again, we're just trying to identify. We want to be honest and aware of where we find ourselves walking back into the grave. This could be a certain interaction or a relationship. We need to know these things so that we can surrender them. Right? And number two, in these areas discussed, how can I be a better spouse and a better friend? Do I need to be a better listener? Maybe you guys can share ideas with one another on a way that you could love your, your spouse better or you could love your friends better. All right, so let's break up into groups and I'll call us back in when we're done. And again, be mindful for everyone to be able to share. Cool?
We're going to jump back in in about one minute. One minute. So wrap it up. If you've been talking the whole time, maybe pass it on. Thirty seconds. All right. Looks like you guys had some good conversation. We can share more of this. We have a long walk back up to the main building, right? So there's plenty of opportunity for uh, reflection. So what we saw first is that the law of love is a command. And next we saw that the law of love is like Christ. And finally, today, our third point is the law of love is a litmus test. The law of love is a litmus test. Verse 35, it says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. See, a litmus test in chemistry is used to determine the true acidity of a chemical solution. So you have a a chemical solution. Um, If the material is acidic, you put this blue piece of paper in it, and that piece of paper is going to turn red, right? Has anyone ever done this in like chemistry class in like ninth grade? Okay, so for us spiritually, when the law of love is lived, it reveals the reality of our heart and is displayed in the observation of the onlooking world. Are we like Christ? It acts as a litmus test. When we live out the law of love towards one another, the onlooking world cannot deny that we are different. Okay, so in 1996, uh, April 29th, 1996, I went to my first music concert. So big, like, rock music concert, okay? It was at Kemper Arena down in the West Bottoms, right? Who's been to Kemper Arena? Who's been to Kemper Arena when it was called Kemper Arena? Yes, yes, my people, okay. So it was at Kemper Arena, and my parents had surprised me and some of my friends with tickets, and the show was that night, and so uh, I will never forget walking down into the arena, the stadium, it's a huge, you know, if you haven't been down there, it's, it's like a hockey stadium, big stadium, and my dad was carrying me on his shoulders, Right, and we started to walk into this mass of people on the floor. And as we did, um, this abruptly, these three spotlights came on the stage. Right? And there they were. Okay? Toby, Michael, and Kevin. You guys know who this is? So these are the three frontmen to DC Talk. If you guys don't know who DC Talk is, then you're probably born after 99 or you're living under a rock or something. But DC Talk, they were a big deal in the Christian music industry. It's like the first Christian rap, rock, like soul, any other music genre that someone else had them, you know, perform, right? So this was a cool band in the 90s for a 12-year-old. So they were on their Jesus Freak tour. And um, man, when those lights came on, I'll never forget this. The first thing that came over the speakers, it said, it was this audio recording, it said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Never forget it. As a young child, this statement was seared into my memory. It was that first, that was the first time I was sitting on my dad's shoulders in my life that I realized, I really considered that the way I treat other people has an eternal consequence 
that as a Christian, the way that I live my life reflects how people see Christ. And for the last 27 years, it's been ringing in my ears. It's something I think about all the time. It's like, man, when I, you know, act up, when I'm not walking in the Spirit, it's something I think about. It's not enough for us to behave well. It's not enough for us to just behave well. 1 Corinthians 13.1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, charity is love, I become as a sounding brass or a tinking symbol, tingling symbol. This is just annoying. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, that is to have love, then I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it, profit, it profiteth nothing. We are wasting our time with endeavoring to be good people. This only amounts to an unprofitable emptiness for ourselves, and it's annoying and disillusioning to an onlooking world. They're not fooled by the faithless, fabricated facade. They see right through it and they move on to their eternal detriment and to our disgrace. 1 John 3.18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed, and in truth. And in truth. It's not enough for us to love in word, to say, I love you. And it's neither enough for, our, for love in word and deeds so that you know, our words are backed up with good deeds. But it must be in truth. It must be true. It has to be coming from something deeper than just our good intentions. Our outward actions must align with our inward position. Our mission in Life Fellowship is to connect people to Christ and one another. So we cannot afford to not be obedient to the law of love. We cannot settle to say nice things and wish each other well. We cannot deceive ourselves into being hearers and then just doers of the word when we must first be filled with the Spirit. You know, if you're not here today and you're not filled with the Spirit, we need to talk. <clears throat> you're wasting your life and the one to come. Through receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior, we can be filled with the Spirit. Then daily, after that, then daily we can die. And that is our reasonable service in order to then be able to walk in the Spirit and endeavor to be like Christ, to embody Him, to then be able to behave like Him. We don't need to get the cart before the horse so an onlooking world will see Him through us. There'll be all kinds of people that'll walk through this space over the years. All kinds of people. We need to redeem the time. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the law of love. Thank you for your, for your precepts and your principles. Thank you for your word. Father, we pray that this would just be marinating around us and that we would walk from here today transformed in Jesus' name. Amen.